All right, well, thank you again for being here today. Whether you're in the room or watching us online, we're so blessed to have you with us today. Welcome to Calvary, where our mission is pretty simple, but it aligns with what Jesus told us. He said, love God, love people, and then go change your world. And you're like, well, how can you change your world? Well, we're doing that right now. Just doing the next kind thing that God puts in front of us. And so thank you for your generosity and giving on this Sunday before Thanksgiving. Everybody got your meals planned out for this week. Yep, some of you do. So we were shopping this week. We already got the turkey in the fridge, and we're figuring that out. I think I'm going to smoke it on my uh, electric smoker. It's going to be amazing, and so, uh, so we're so glad to have you here today. If you're on Facebook, that'd be a good time to, to check in online or share the, the live stream, whether on YouTube or Facebook or the website. We're so glad that you're with us. And we have come to the end of our series We've been studying for the last uh, two and a half months or so, we've been studying about the end times. We've entitled the series Tipping Point because we believe that signs of the times and Bible prophecy and even the rejection of morality and truth and all of these things are leading us to the tipping point, indicating that we are indeed living in the last days. And if you've missed any of the messages in this series, you can go to calvarymd.com. You can see the messages are archived there. But uh, going back about two or, or two and a half months ago or so, we talked about the 490 years that was prophesied by the prophet Daniel uh, through the angel Gabriel. We've looked at the road signs. That was week two that, that showed us that we are well uh, on the way toward the end times. And then we've talked about the rapture and how uh, Jesus is going to come and meet, meet us in the middle of the air. We're going to have new bodies. We're going to be raptured with him. And then we talked in great detail about the tribulation. And you don't need to be worried about that. If you're saved, if you're a believer in Jesus, we don't believe that you are destined to wrath. You're not destined for the tribulation. You are destined for eternal life. And then um, we talked last week about the second coming and how Jesus is going to come back again. And so uh, that brings us to this week. Today, I want to talk to you about a time that the world has been waiting for and longing for all the way back since the Garden of Eden. A time here on the earth where there will not be any more fear, no more anxiety, no more heartache, no more coronavirus. Come on, somebody. No more COVID. No more no more presidential elections. I thought I'd get a good amen on that one. No more dictators, no more communism, no more earthquakes, no more famine, no more hurricanes, no typhoons. None of that stuff is going to be here. In fact, it's going to be a time where Scripture tells us that, that even little children are going to be able to, to play with lions and leopards and wolves and bears and, and all of that. And the trees, they're going to constantly bear fruit and the flowers will be always in bloom. It's going to be a time where Satan is bound and has no power and no influence, a time of purity and peace and righteousness where Jesus rules and reigns and we get to rule and reign with him. And that's just a little glimpse into what this millennial reign is gonna be like. So for a thousand years, this world is gonna be experiencing perfect peace and a utopian type of atmosphere where Jesus Christ sets up an actual physical kingdom here on the earth. 
We really believe that. Now, we are living in the kingdom of God now. The spiritual kingdom is here. It is among us when Jesus came and the Holy Spirit came and established the church. But we believe that at the second coming, he's going to establish a perfect kingdom right here on the earth where he is going to rule and reign. And like I said, uh, we're moving into a time of thanksgiving which is great, and of course, that means you can finally set up your Christmas trees. I know some of you have just been, you've been uh, hard, hard and fast on that rule. We're not gonna set up any Christmas trees till after Thanksgiving. Well, now's your time, you get to do that. And uh, ours has been up for about a month, and just every, every week we add something a little bit more here and there, and that's great. But uh, well, I love Christmas time, and you know, one of the most famous songs of Christmas, uh, of all time, was a song written by a man named Isaac Watts. He wrote a song called Joy to the World. I know we all know that song, Joy to the World. But what if I were to tell you that Joy to the World was never meant to be a Christmas song? You'd probably throw me out, what a heretic up there. Get him off the stage, right? But it's actually true. Did you know that joy to the world was not meant for the first advent? It was not meant for Christmas, the first coming of our Lord. He wrote that song. Isaac Watts wrote that song to usher in the second coming. He wrote in great detail about the second coming of Jesus. So with that in mind, I'm going to read some of the lyrics. And I want you to listen to the, the lyrics of joy to the world in context of the first coming versus the second coming of Jesus. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive our king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Now, has every heart here on the earth prepared room for Jesus? I'd say no, not, not quite, quite yet. They've not yet made room for Jesus to be king. Verse two, no more let sin and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Now, has that been fulfilled? I'd say no. If you came out to my yard, you'd see plenty of thorns and plenty of weeds in my yard. That has not yet been fulfilled. And I think verse four, uh, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Not quite yet, not all the nations, not until the second coming, not until the millennial reign will all of the lyrics of joy to the world be fulfilled. Isn't that interesting? So now you've got something to talk about this holiday season. Hey, mom, did you know? There you go. Now, I wanna show you a chart that we've looked at several times throughout this series, the, the end times timeline. If you want a copy of this, email me. I'll, I'll be glad to send it to you. We've looked at it several times. I want to show it to you one more time as we wrap up our series. We are now currently living in what's called the church age, the present age. When Jesus left the earth, when he was ascended back to Jesus, he put uh, the, the, the church into the hands of the disciples. He invited even Gentiles, non-Jews, that's you and me. He invited us to be a part of the present age, the church age where we are to spread the good news of Jesus and tell everybody we can about him. And so we are actively in that church age now, reaching people for Jesus. But at any moment, the trumpet could sound 
First Thessalonians chapter four talks about that a lot. The trumpet's gonna sound and we are gonna be raptured. That rapture comes from the Latin word rapturo. And we're gonna be caught up with Jesus to meet him in the middle of the air. It's gonna be a private event between Jesus and all of his followers who are left here on the, uh, on the earth. And when that happens, we're gonna go to heaven. We're gonna be married to Jesus. We're gonna celebrate at the wedding banquet, the marriage supper of the lamb. It's gonna be awesome. But it's also gonna kick off the final seven years called the tribulation. And that first three and a half years is gonna actually be kind of a, a time of relative peace and prosperity. There's gonna be the Antichrist who comes and makes peace treaties and everybody's gonna be thinking everything is hunky-dory. There will be likely one government, one world order, one currency. You'll be asked to take a mark of the beast if you want to buy and sell. By the way, that doesn't seem too far-fetched now, doesn't it? In fact, I was just reading earlier this week about how now there's, there's I think it's Ticketmaster.com. If you want to go to a Ticketmaster event, you have to prove that you're COVID-free, which I get. I, I'm not poo-pooing that idea, but pretty soon it's going to be easy. Oh, it's just going to be on a little thing that they put in your hand or on your forehead, and, and people are just going to be like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. I should do that. I want to buy and sell. I want to go here and there. I should take that mark. If you're left behind, hint, hint, don't take the mark, Okay. Don't do it. So the first three and a half years are going to be a time of relative peace. But then at the three and a half year mark, the Antichrist, he's going to come. He's going to break that treaty with Israel and the Jewish people. There will be a rebuilt temple. We talked about that a few weeks ago. He is going to kick the worship of God out of that temple. He's going to himself inhabit that temple, sit on the throne and say, now it's time to worship me. The Antichrist is going to say, it's time to worship me. I'm proclaiming myself, says the Antichrist, to be God. That's what we call the abomination of desolation, the desecration of the temple. And that's going to usher in the final three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, which God's wrath will be poured out at never before seen levels. Again, we've talked about that in this series. You can go back and check those messages out. And at the end of that seven-year period, God's wrath will have been completely executed and likely a half or more of the population of the world will be gone, will be killed. Some having accepted Jesus, some having not. And at the end of the seven years, Jesus is coming again. It's going to be the return of the king, the second coming. Okay, the first time he came was in a manger in Bethlehem, 2,000-ish years ago. The next time he comes, all the way down back to the Mount of Olives, will be at the end of the tribulation. Now, before that, seven years before that, remember, he's coming down, but not all the way. That's not the second coming. That's the rapture of the church. So he's coming in. He's going to annihilate Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet and the enemies. And then he's going to come and, and, and have a physical kingdom here on the earth that we call the millennial reign of Christ. The millennium, the kingdom age, whatever you might want to call that. That's going to be a thousand years, 1,000 years. At the end of that thousand years, Satan's going to be released. We'll talk about that in just a moment for just a little bit. And then he's going to be given his life sentence to condemnation in hell forever. And then we're going to experience the new heaven, the new earth. That's going to be the eternal state. So that's kind of a quick overview of the timeline of the end times. And today I want to talk about that part right there, the millennial reign of Christ. If you have your Bibles... 
would you turn with me to Revelation chapter 20? Revelation chapter 20. We've been hanging out in Revelation for quite a few weeks uh, during this series, and it was written by the beloved disciple named John. John was one of the disciples that walked and talked on the earth with Jesus when he had his earthly ministry. And uh, John was exiled in prison uh, to this island called Patmos. And while there, as a very old man, he was given a vision from the Lord. And he wrote that vision. And that is basically the book of Revelation. And so Revelation chapter 20 uh, describes many of the details about this millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So let's pick it up, Revelation 20, chapter, uh, chapter 20, verse 1 through 4. I saw an angel, this is John speaking now, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ would you read it with me? A thousand years. I highlighted the word thousand here three times in these four verses to emphasize that John repeatedly references a literal thousand years here on the earth with Jesus where he will rule and reign. This is not imagery type of language. This is a literal thousand years. But there are some who, in spite of what we just read, the clear language that we see from John that do not believe in a literal thousand-year reign of Jesus here on the earth. There are some who ascribe to a post-millennialism view. Post-millennialism. This view teaches that we, the church, are here on the earth, we're in the church age, and it is our duty to go spread the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. And we do believe that. We're in alignment with that. They believe that as more and more people hear about Jesus, then more and more people are going to respond to Jesus. They're going to come to Jesus. And this world is going to be moving toward a perfect place, a utopian type of world, so much so that Jesus is going to look down and be so impressed with our work down here that I, I can't wait any longer. Look at what you've done down there. I'm going to come down and, and reign and rule with you down there. This is the post-millennialism view. Now, you don't have to be a genius to see that we are not exactly headed in that kind of direction, are we? You know, in fact, in just the last 100 or 110 years, we've seen two great world wars. We've seen the Korean War, the Vietnam War. We've seen the, the, the ridiculous Holocaust. We've seen famines and, and persecution of, of church people. And, and we've seen uh, uh, even natural disasters increasing at a faster and faster level. In fact, only 2% in America of people who are born between 1982 and 1997, only 2% of the population believe in a biblical worldview that God's word has the final authority on truth and morality. We're not moving into a utopian type of world. So I think we can kind of 
toss this one aside that this is probably not correct. It's just not even practical to believe in a post-millennial view of the kingdom age. Then there's another group of people called amillennialists. Amillennialism. Of course, A negates the word that follows that, so they, they say, uh, so no, it, they, they do not believe in a literal millennial reign of Jesus Christ. They don't believe in an actual physical thousand years here on the earth. It's more symbolic, and it's more of a spiritual type of kingdom. They would say that we are currently living in the millennial reign. You and I are living right now in the kingdom age, because it's a spiritual kingdom. So once again, if the world that you and I are living in right now is the millennial reign, I'm just not that impressed, are you? I mean, again, there's, there's wars and pestilences and diseases and, and natural disasters and nation rising up against nation and people group against people group and all sorts of division and famine and on and on. And even the silencing of God's church and God's people. Some states have said you can't even sing in church. There's been a rejection of truth, a rejection of God's word. This is not the perfect kingdom that Jesus had in mind for the millennial reign. So I think we can probably toss the amillennialism view out the window as well. And, and another problem with that is that both the Old Testament and New Testament go into great detail about some of the specifics of the kingdom age. So that brings us to premillennialism. This uh, is what we believe. This is what our church, along with most evangelicals, they ascribe to the premillennialism view. Jesus will physically come again, the second coming of Jesus. He will physically wipe out the enemy, wipe out evil, and then he will physically set up an actual kingdom here on the earth. A kingdom that once and for all redeems all the fallen world that we have faced, all the brokenness and the hurt and the sorrow and the pain, a world that, that has been longing for this time since the beginning of time, Jesus will actually come and do it. It's a physical kingdom, an actual kingdom. And one of the specifics about the kingdom age is this. Satan will be bound for 1,000 years. We just read it. In fact, let's read it again. Revelation 20, verse 1 through 3. And I saw an angel, John speaking, coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. So we just read that God uses an unnamed angel to lock up Satan. Notice he did not uh, use Gabriel or Michael. It's just an unnamed, so I don't mean to make light of it, but you're just kind of the run-of-the-mill angel. Here you go, run-of-the-mill angel. Why don't you take these keys and go lock Satan up for just a little bit? And you know, this, what, you know what this emphasizes to us today? Is that Satan is not on the same level as God. Okay, He does not have the power or the influence, none of that. It pales in comparison to Almighty God, so much so that God doesn't even need to lock Satan up himself. He can just dispatch John Doe Angel and say, hey, can you go ahead and just take care of old Slewfoot over here, lock him up for a while. 
That's pretty cool. <laughs> and so during the millennial reign, Satan has no power. He has no influence. He's locked up. He's bound. Now, this isn't yet his final punishment. That is to come at the end of the millennial reign. We'll see that in just a moment. But he is bound and locked up, meaning that he can no longer deceive the nations. And this reveals to us, Satan's go-to tactic is deception. Man, he just loves spreading dissension. He loves spreading lies and deception. By the way, that's another reason why we know that we're not in the millennium yet. Because deception is all around us. Lies and dissension are all around us. In fact, Kelly and I, as we were getting ready for bed last night and and praying, it seems like Satan is working overtime right now. The deception is worse than it's ever been. He's out there, but there is coming a day where he's going to be locked up. And there's not going to be any lies, no dissension, no deception here on the earth. You know, Peter in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5 tells us that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for who he can consume, who can he devour and destroy. Well, in the millennium, he's not able to do that. He's bound, he's locked up with no influence. And if there's no Satan and there's no deception, then there's no incentive to sin. So it will be easier to live a righteous and holy life. I think it's gonna be amazing. It will be much easier to live a a holy life set apart for Jesus. The absence of Satan and his evil schemes combined with the physical presence of Jesus here on the earth is gonna make for a utopia like we've never seen before. Then at the end of the thousand years, Satan is released for a short season, only because God allows it. He cannot get himself out of jail. He's he's, uh, going to be allowed to to do his thing for just a short season to once again test and tempt the mortals, the mortal people who are here on the earth, and try one more time, one final attempt to overthrow God. And of course, we know how that's going to end. Now, in case you didn't realize Not everyone will die at the end of the tribulation, that seven-year period that we've talked about. Okay, Jesus at the second coming, he's gonna come to the battle of Armageddon. He's gonna wipe out the enemies uh, and the armies, the evil armies. But there's going to be many, many people, perhaps millions, if not a couple of billion people, who are going to be here living on this earth as mortals. Are you following me? Okay, so, so not everyone will die at the battle of Armageddon. That means during the kingdom age, during the millennium, there will be those of us who come with Jesus at the second coming will have new glorified immortal bodies. We will be doing life here on the earth with people who have mortal bodies. Isn't that interesting? So not everybody on the earth will have immortal bodies. If you know Jesus, uh, you will. But there will be people who are left from from the great tribulation. That means there will be people who are doing life kind of like what we're doing now. Looking for employment, uh, having a job, likely having boyfriend, girlfriend, getting married, having kids, doing life similar to what we're doing right now. And many of these people will in fact be believers. They will be followers of Jesus. They will be Christians. However, not everyone will. 
Not everyone will be Christians, at least not right away. John tells us that at the end of the thousand years, Satan is released for a short time and is once again allowed to do his deception. I kind of liken it to when um, Satan went to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember that? And how they lived in this perfect utopian type world, and yet Eve and Adam fell for the deception. In spite of living in a perfect world, many will be deceived and choose to turn their back on King Jesus and follow Satan. In spite of all of the good that has happened for a thousand years, in spite of all of the righteousness that has been legislated, in spite of all of that, at the end of a thousand years, there will be a final rebellion against God and there will be many people who will join Satan in rebellion against him. And this tells me, as I'm studying, this tells me uh, another detail. I think it's confirmation that mankind's problems and flaws are not because of our environment. You know, maybe you've heard uh, some people say that the problem we have in our world is our environment. If we could just make the atmosphere and the environment just right, if we could just educate people a particular way, then, then everybody would be better. Well, we've already tried that. God put two people in a perfect garden, and yet people still fell for the schemes of the enemy. Jesus is going to oversee a perfect world for 1,000 years in peace and righteousness and yet, in spite of all of that, there's going to be people who turn their back on him and follow Satan. It's why we need a savior. You know, the, the, the heart of man is evil. Okay, you're, you're not a product necessarily. Your environment has something to do with it. I, we'll, we'll give you that. But the, the heart problem that we have is that we've inherited uh, a heart problem of evil from Adam and Eve, our great, 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 great grandparents have passed down to us this heart of evil. And so we needed Jesus to come and pay the price and the penalty for our sin. He cured the sin nature that we had. It's, it's pretty awesome. Our sin disease is no more because of what Jesus did. But in the end, at the end of the millennial, there will be mortals who reject Jesus. Like us, we've had to choose. They too will have to choose. Jesus or Satan, right or wrong, heaven or hell. And amazingly, some of them will not choose correctly. But let's hope most of them do choose wisely. Let's go back to Revelation uh, 20. Let's look at verse seven. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. That refers to Ezekiel 38, by the way. We looked at that in week two, I believe. This is Satan's crew, Gog and Magog. And, and together, uh, they, they gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. So again, it's actually this great throng of people that come to battle Jesus. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. 
They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So what we just read here actually won't be a battle at all. I mean, in reality, this is once again, like the Battle of Armageddon, a a one-sided blowout. Okay, fire descends down from heaven and devours Satan and his evil army. Last week, uh, we read that the second coming, the the Antichrist and the false prophet, when they are defeated, they are thrown into the lake of fire. Well, at the end of the thousand years, Satan joins them. And so what we see is a thousand years later when Satan is thrown into the fiery lake of sulfur that the the false prophet and the Antichrist are still there facing their eternal punishment. Now let's look at another detail about the kingdom age, about the millennium. And that's this. Jesus is going to come and he's going to reign with the saints. At the second coming, Jesus is going to wipe out the Antichrist, and then he establishes a perfect uh, earthly kingdom. This is the kingdom that many of the Jews have been longing for for thousands of years, even all the way back since Abraham and David. In fact, many of the followers of Jesus when he was here on the earth, including his own disciples, had hoped that that first coming was going to be what ushered in this perfect kingdom, this earthly reign of the Messiah, this kingdom will finally be that kingdom that they had been longing for. And Israel will be the leading nation of this new kingdom. Jerusalem, the capital city of the leading nation. And the world will be at perfect peace. Let's look at Micah in the Old Testament. Micah chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. The law will go out from Zion. Uh, Zion is another word for the, the place where God dwells. The word of the Lord will go out from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Isn't that interesting? This is going to be a time of incredible peace between all nations All nations, all tribes, all groups of people, there will be no more need for military artillery. (laughs) We won't have the military branches. We won't have military bases. We won't even have military uniforms. Unless you like that for fashion, you know. You can do that, right? Wear some camo boots or whatever, that's cool. But this is going to be a time of perfect peace, In fact, in in this Christmas season, we think of many of the names of Jesus. One of the names that was prophesied of Jesus would be he would be the Prince of Peace. He'd be the Prince of Peace. There's no war because the Prince of Peace, King Jesus, is ruling and reigning. He's the one that's in charge. And get this, to the delight of, of most of you today, there will be no more earthly government necessary. That means there will be No more legislation from Washington, D.C. Can I get a big amen for that one, right? I thought you would enjoy that. There's not going to be any need for us to get any rules and laws and legislation from Washington, D.C. anymore. It's going to be a perfect kingdom with perfect law established from the perfect king, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So the kingdom age will feature a time of perfect peace. And check this out. It's even going to be a time of perfect peace in the animal kingdom. 
Here's what we see in Isaiah chapter 11, beginning with verse six. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So all my kids out there, guess what? This is going to be the ultimate petting zoo. Isn't that going to be so cool? You're going to get to hang out with all these exotic animals and, and you're going to have no fear of being bitten or struck or, or stomped on or whatever. The entire world, including the animal kingdom, is at perfect peace. I think that's pretty incredible. And, and by the way, I think it's Isaiah talks about details about how um, the, the physical bodies, those that are left here, of course, we're going to have immortal bodies, but the mortals here, I think it's in Isaiah, talks about how someone who's 100 years old will seem like a young person. Okay, so, so life here on the earth is going to go back to pre-flood type of conditions, Maybe like the Garden of Eden where people live for six and seven and eight and 900 years. It's going to be incredible. Now back to Revelation 20, verse 4. Let's read that again. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus. We're talking about those who gave their life during the tribulation. And because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So believers, including those who were beheaded during the tribulation, will rule and reign with Jesus. They are given, they are given authority by Jesus to rule with him. Now, the rest of the dead that we just read about here, that refers to the unsaved dead. And so let me take a moment and explain something here. John is describing two different resurrections. So I want to give you kind of a working knowledge of what we mean by that. Okay, The first resurrection are those of saved people. They are resurrected and will get new, resurrected, immortal, glorious bodies. Now, when you die, you are immediately in the presence of the Lord. We, we believe that. Paul said that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we believe if you know Jesus, if you believe in him and you follow him, when you die here on the earth, your spirit person is immediately ushered into the presence of Jesus. Your spirit person. Then those of us uh, uh, who are alive and remain, we are, we're also gonna get new bodies as well. So those who have died in Christ... You probably have grandparents or loved ones. Uh, Dorothy Meisner, one of our long-term attendees, we heard that she just died this weekend. Dorothy Meisner's of the world, my grandparents, all my grandparents, they are with Christ right now 
in their spirit person. But in the first resurrection, they're going to be given new glorious bodies. And there's actually an order of who gets their new bodies. They get their new bodies first. Then we who are here on the earth right now and are caught up in the rapture, we're second in line. Then we'll get our new and glorious immortal bodies. And then the third group are those who gave their life for Jesus during the the tribulation. That's the third group, the believers who died during the tribulation. That's the first resurrection that John's talking about here. The second resurrection is for those who are unsaved, those who have, for whatever reason, rejected Jesus. They are raised from the dead at the end of the millennium, and they are given their final sentence where God will torment them, where God God will sentence them to, to torment because they did not believe in Jesus. They did not accept him as Lord and Savior. That's why John said, blessed are those who participate in the first resurrection. If you experience the first resurrection, John says you're blessed. That means you're not blessed if you experience the second resurrection. You're not blessed because you'll be condemned to eternal separation from God. Now, that's kind of uh, what those two resurrections looks like. Now, during, the, during the, the millennium, John says that Jesus will rule and reign with the saints. Well, who are the saints? That's you and me. That's the church. That's us. That's those who have gone on before as well. That's the resurrected church. And you might be familiar with a New Testament parable that Jesus taught, the parable of the talents. And in that parable, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus taught that we as believers will have an active role as servants and leaders and rulers in the millennium. And these roles that we are given during the millennium are in a direct response to our faithfulness while here on the earth. As he's closing up the parable, this is what he told his followers. Jesus is saying this. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So in the millennium, we will be ruling on the earth with Jesus as king. And we will be serving the Lord. Serving the Lord not as a punishment. Serving the Lord as a reward. Now, to some of you, you might be thinking, well, how can serving be how can working be a reward? Now, there are some that have this mentality that, that they don't like their work. They don't enjoy their employment. You might know somebody like that. You might be that person. And you just kind of tolerate your work. You don't enjoy it at all. And you're just, you're just buying time until you can retire and have an endless vacation. But God refers to this, uh, the end, the millennial reign, that we will be offered opportunities to serve, to work alongside, to rule and work with Jesus. So our reward is more responsibilities. Our reward is more opportunities. We will have greater resources and greater abilities and more wisdom and, and we'll be empowered and we'll have sharper minds and stronger bodies will have clearer purpose, will have continuous joy. It's going to be awesome. I mean, can you imagine a reign of righteousness here on the earth made up exclusively 
of godly people in every single position. Isn't that awesome to think about? We won't have to elect leaders anymore because Jesus Christ will disappoint them. He'll appoint everybody in their, in their rightful positions. Anyone else thinks that sounds like a good idea right now? <laughs> I'm looking forward to that day where he's just going to appoint, you do this, you do that. So we are going to have amazing opportunity and responsibility to work along with Jesus Christ. We're going to get to rule and reign with him here on the earth. And just so you know, I've already put in for the Bahamas. So I'm sorry, you'll have to take that up with the Lord. And I'm not sure exactly what responsibilities he's going to give me while I'm here on the earth. I think it might have something to do with Chick-fil-A or Diet Dr. Pepper. I'm not quite sure. But either way, I know we're going to love working with Jesus. Now, um, as amazing as all of this is, as amazing as the millennium and the kingdom age is, the earth is going to be put back in its original state, like at the Garden of Eden. It still won't be the eternal state. It still won't be the new heavens and the new earth. It will be just a small taste of what eternity is going to be like. You know, we read John later talks about New Jerusalem that comes down from above. And it talks about the walls of jasper and the gates of pearl and the streets of gold. It's going to be incredible, the new heavens and the new earth. But before we experience the new heaven and the new earth, this earth is going to experience the greatest period of time it's ever known. This millennium, this kingdom age, this 1,000 millennial reign will, where righteousness and truth are supreme. Truth will be in the spotlight. We, right now, it's kind of hard to decipher. Is that, is that true or, or not? I don't even know. There'll be no more fake news. There'll be no more, yes, there'll be no more rejection of truth. There'll be no more deception. There'll be no uh, seeds of discord sown. There'll be none of, none of that. No more wars. No more fighting. It's going to be a perfect place. A time that this earth has been longing for since the beginning of time. And it's going to be amazing. Are you looking forward to that today, church? Is that going to be awesome? Amen. Hey, if you are, would you stand with me today? Looking forward to that. As we close our time, let's all stand. I want to give you an opportunity right there in your seat to just reflect, respond however it is you need to respond. What does, this, what does all of this mean for you today? But I want, to take, I want to give you a moment right now in your spot, in your seat. Maybe you're watching at home, wherever you might be seeing this. Just want to give you an opportunity to, to do business with God right now. You might just want to take a moment and bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you've lost your eternal perspective. Maybe you've been distracted with the things of the earth. Maybe you've been distracted with temporary things that don't really mean anything. Maybe you've lost your hope. You've gotten your eyes on the temporary and you've, you've gotten your eyes on uh, things that don't really matter and you've lost your hope. Jesus has come to bring hope. He offers us hope in the name of Jesus. And when you have hope in Jesus, you can be broke and you're still okay. 
when you have the hope that comes with Jesus, you can be wrongfully imprisoned and still be okay because we have hope in Jesus. So why don't right now you just take a moment and renew your love and your commitment to Jesus? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Find us ready. Find us faithful, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we renew our commitment to you right now. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see to the hurting that are around us. Lord, this holiday season, there's gonna be people at our Thanksgiving table or Christmas table that need to know about the hope that we have. And Jesus, I pray that you would give us the boldness to share that hope that we have in you. Come on, right now, could we just lift our voice and once again, renew our commitment to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we love you. We proclaim you as Lord and Savior over all. We thank you for the glorious hope that we have in you. We thank you for the blessed hope. We thank you that uh, we don't have to hunker down. We don't have to be in fear. But Lord, we can, we can work for you while you come. We can work and watch and wait, knowing that the coming of the Lord is at hand. Come on, everybody. Let's lift it up. And now let's sing the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Let's sing.